0: Well, here we are. I should say here I am. Um, there's not very many of us in this room right now. Um, it's a little weird. Let's just call it what it is. It's a little weird. Normally, there's a big room full of people, and then tonight, there's like four of us. I don't care. I don't do numbers. In case you haven't met, my name is Chris Murphy, and and I am. Um, Uh, I'm the Bible study teacher for our psalm study, and um, numbers are not my thing. And so I I don't know how many of you and where you are or where you're watching from, but I will tell you this, it's, it's a weird time. I think we can all agree on that, right? It's weird. But like I said in my prayer, um, God is never surprised, you know? Like none of this took him by surprise. I was just talking this week to um, somebody on our team and I was telling her, I was like, you know, isn't it funny that of all the weeks for this to happen where we are um, abiding by all of the rules and, and regulations and guidelines and we're in a room with, we're socially distant, I assure you, the people that are in this room are not near each other. But the thing that's crazy about it is like, as I'm going through our homework, I'm thinking, man, what a weird week to be studying praise, You know, but then I thought, no, man, God is, he's not a God of coincidences. He is a God of order, and he planned this, you know. He knew that in this moment, in this time, whatever it looked like, however weird it was, that we would need to hear a word about praise, you know. And so today we are going to look at Psalm 150, 150. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Psalm 150. And if you're in our class, um, you know that we've been working our way through the entire book of Psalms. Do you hear what I'm saying? When I say 150, that's 150, y'all. That's like a lot. We've covered a lot of ground, like in 21 weeks. And now we are at the grand finale of them all. It's kind of crazy when you, when you read about like what the scholars and all the Bible smart people say about Psalm 150. They call it the doxology of doxologies. And doxology is just pretty much like words that praise God. And so isn't it fitting that after 149 chapters in this book that we're going to finish it with 13 hallelujahs. It, it's crazy, you know. What he had planned. Well, open your Bible to Psalm 150, like I said, and we're going to take a look. Um, here's the thing. All of these psalms that we covered this week, Psalm 146 up to 150, all of them started with the same three words and ended with the same three words. Do you remember what they were? Praise the Lord. Every one of them. Well, I heard it described this way. It was like this, it's like this crescendo of praise. It's like this summit of of a mountaintop and we're moving our way to the top. And at the very tippy top is Psalm 150. Cool, right? Like what an amazing opportunity for us today. Well, I'll tell you, um, before all of the the lockdowns and the isolations and everything, God was good enough to give me a little reprieve with my family. We went on a vacation. Um, Lauren was the one who taught last week, and I know y'all all all appreciate that so much like I do. I tried to get her to teach again this week, but for some reason she just wasn't interested. I don't know why. But what I got to do that week, a couple of weeks ago, is my family and I got to go to hit a couple of the national parks. And we didn't know at the time, right, that everything was going to be shutting down. And so it's even more of a gift now, honestly. But we hit um, Zion National Park. And and if you haven't been there, um, well, once everything's cool again, you need to go. Because it is, like, majestic and amazing and beautiful. Well, here's the deal. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before. So this is bonus content. Everybody, congratulations. You get to hear this. I am... I'm one of those special, precious, darling people that have this fear of heights. Okay, but let me clarify. I don't have a fear of heights. I have a fear of falling from heights. So that's logical, right? But but when you really drill down to it, like, man, I have a fear of the what if, you know? When people try to ask me, why are you so afraid? I'm like... Because in my mind, right, I start picturing what would happen if I fell or somebody that I love or even somebody that I don't know, if they fell. Like it's just like it plays in my head. I'm afraid of what could possibly happen. Well, we go to Zion, and I'm a team player. Okay, so my family wants to do this hike, and our friends, our friends and our family, they want to do this hike, and I can't remember the name of it, but I think it was something like lookout hike or something. Let me just give you a tip, those of you who are also slightly afraid of falling from heights. Hey, any hike that has the word lookout in it, you know, it's going to be high, And so I'm like traipsing along on this trail with my family and they're all ahead of me because not only am I I like being super cautious, like I'm that girl holding on the rail, like leaning far into the thing, but I'm like really slow, okay? So slowly I'm making my way. They've all pretty much gone on ahead of me and I'm making my way up and we get to this one spot and and I, I hope I have a picture of it. We get to this one spot where they have literally drilled into the side of this mountain, essentially this cliff this little walkway. And when I say walkway, I mean two like two by fours, y'all. And it has some railing. And so I'm like, this seems really messed up. Like, because you look down between the two by fours and it is a straight drop. And so everybody goes along, they do real fine, but I'm scared to death. But here's the deal. I, I need praise for this. In fact, you know, could you just stand up and clap? I didn't turn back. When we got to that weird little railing, all I did was just, I just leaned in real close and I just kept going, but I didn't turn back. And here's why, because the hike that we were on had a promise of some really great view. So in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I just got to do it scared, right? Like, I'm not going to cure my fear in this moment. I just got to do it scared. And so I did. I made it across the bridge, and and I kept going on the hike. And it was so, so cool. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And and I was thankful that I did it. But but it kind of brought me around to this place where we are now. It's like idea of this whole hallelujah this whole praise the Lord man we got to do it scared um I think oftentimes that's how we need to praise him you know like praising God uh it comes naturally in times of of joy right it comes naturally when there's those times where everything seems to be going okay but but in times like now that are weird that are uncertain that there's fear you know um these are the times where I think we have to just do it scared, y'all. I think we have to praise him scared. And so as I was sitting down working through what this lecture was going to be, I thought about that hike. And I thought about taking one step at a time and, and doing it scared and doing it slow. And so I, I don't know where you are. I don't know how you're feeling in this moment watching this right now. I, I don't know what's going on in your world. But I do know that we all have one thing in common, that the unknown is scary. And, and we're all a little fearful of it, right? Um, But the beauty of what God has us in tonight, the beauty of the fact that we're in Psalm 150 is that the psalmist has something to say about that. And so we're going to look at it. So Psalm 150, here's what we're going to do. Before we get into breaking it into pieces, I want to just read it, okay? I'm just going to read it out loud. Follow along with me. Close your eyes. Listen. I don't know, but just hear these words and think about where you are right now. Think about where we are in the world right now. And just listen, okay? So Psalm 150, it starts like this in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 13 of those, guys. 13 of them. Psalms. If you've been with us, you already know this. I'm going to say some stuff. And if you, So if you have been with us this whole time, maybe go get some popcorn. I don't know. Just hold up for a second. But here's, here's what you can know if you're new to the Psalms journey with us. You can know that it is the largest book of the Bible the largest chapter. In fact, we always talk about our fun little Bible trip where, where you just set your Bible down and pop it open halfway through and you're probably gonna land in Psalms. Um, it's the most quoted book from the New Testament. And Jesus actually quotes Psalms, y'all, 11 times. There's more than seven authors. Um, it spans a thousand years, we think. And it's a collection of, of praises and laments and prayers It covers almost every single human emotion and experience you could ever imagine. You know, we've said this over and over over the last 21 weeks. These are our words. They're not just some old-timey Bible guy words. These are our words, our emotions, our feelings. The Psalms. This Psalm 150 is the last one. It's the last words, and 100% of them are praise. We say this often, when things are repeated in the word of God, he wants us to understand. It's bolded and italicized and, and underlined in all the things. And so if we have something repeated 13 times, man, as the finale, we got to listen, don't we? Psalm 150, don't miss the priority of Praise. Um I mentioned before that 146 through 149 those all begin and end with praise the lord those three words well it's like this crescendo of praise and it leads to this grand finale it's only six verses and I mentioned this before but Charles Spurgeon called it the last summit of the mountain chain that is psalms and if you've been with us you know we've talked about it like a like a like a trek up a mountain man and sometimes you need to push up the mountain, amen? And sometimes you're the one giving somebody else a push. And so right now we are at the top, Psalm 150. Listen, um, when you hear the word praise the Lord over and over, the hallelujahs, the 13 hallelujahs you hear, I want you to consider something. You know, I think, I think it's one of those words that we often just kind of glide right past. You know, one of those churchy words, praise, but it's more than singing, okay? Praise is more than singing. It's getting caught up and lifting God above all else. It's getting caught up and lifting him above all else. Praise doesn't negate the lament. It doesn't ignore the sadness or the confusion or the fear. Okay, so don't be confused by that and think that praise is something to be paused and only used whenever times are really great. That's not what praise is. Some of the most authentic praise you will ever see is, is, is the praise that happens in the midst of difficulties. And, and I'll hit some of those in just a minute. Well, the psalmist in 150 tells us in six verses where we're to praise, why we're to praise, how we're to praise, and who is to praise. It's a, it's a detailed prescription, if you will, for how to praise God. Well, I'm going to roll through them quickly, and then we're going we're gonna to look at the end of... Um, what does that mean for us? You know, what do we do with that? So take a look with me if you would on, at Psalm 150 and look at verse one, the very first verse. You see the word sanctuary, if you're reading, I'm reading from the ESV. Some of the other translations might have a different word. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Pause, what does that mean? That word is considered like, um, like his holy place, okay? So for the Old Testament folks, that would have been the place that they go to worship, the place that they believe God dwells. And for us, it's just essentially where we meet. Sometimes it's empty. The next section he talks about, and same in verse 1, he says, praise him in his mighty heavens. What does that mean? He says, sanctuary, that's the places where we are, where we worship God. But then he says, in his mighty heavens, your translation may say expanse, it may say filament, it may say um, other words, but it's all talking about the heavens. Essentially, it's where God is. It's where God dwells, although he is with us at all times. Um, He dwells in the heavens. The psalmist is making us understand one thing, that we um, should be praising God in every place, that our praise is completely uncontainable. It's uncontainable. Even in empty sanctuaries. We praise even in isolation. We praise even in a desert, even in a storm, in an illness, in an uncertainty. We praise in every place. Verse 1 tells us that. Well, verse, verse two goes into the why of praising. I love that um, we see in verse two, he's going to be real specific here, but this is what's beautiful. He's going to talk about every act and attribute of God in just this one little part, the second verse. Look at it with me if you would. Verse two, praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him according to his excellent greatness. Two things, his mighty deeds. What does that even mean? Well, These deeds, they're like, um, in the Chris version, I would say this. They're like deeds of power that help us see God. How's that? Does that make, make sense? Deeds of power. Things that God has done, allowed, caused, that help us see the character of who he is. Well, I heard it written this way. I thought this was pretty spectacular. When you think about the Old Testament, okay, so the left part of your Bible, before Jesus comes on the scene, the Old Testament, the Old Testament shows us Acts of God, mighty deeds done by God himself, right? Well, then in the New Testament, that's the part where Jesus comes on the scene. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here's what's crazy about the gospels. They're the four, first four books of the New Testament. Here's what's amazing. Now we're seeing mighty deeds by the Son, by the Son of God. We're seeing his birth, his ministry. We're seeing ultimately his, his death and burial and then his resurrection, So Old Testament is is mighty deeds by God. New Testament, first four books, the Gospels, mighty deeds by the Son. And here's what's so cool. This is us, guys. Listen up. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and then in the epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters, we see the acts of the Holy Spirit through man, through us. It's like he planned it. Mighty deeds of God, mighty deeds of the Son, and then mighty deeds of the Holy Spirit through man. What does this mean to you and me? Well, I hear this and I think, man, I want to know this thing. I want to know my Bible. I want to understand every mighty deed and every character trait of God. But you know what else it made me think of? And I hope it does the same for you. It made me It made me get personal, you know? It made me start thinking real personally like, okay, what are those mighty deeds that he's done in my life? What are the mighty deeds he's done in your life? I know there are some. A lot of times, maybe we don't um, point to him. You know, a lot of times we we don't give him credit for those things. But, but I would challenge you to think on that for a minute. You know, sometimes the mighty deeds of God are real mighty. You know, sometimes they're those big um, markers on your timeline, right, where you can see that oh man, that's where God made a massive change in my life, and I just turned a corner and. Everything changed and everybody sang hallelujah and it was that, right? But then sometimes, I think, the mighty deeds are the minute things. You know, sometimes they're the really small, tiny little things. And they're this attitude that I have where I'm recognizing who God is in the midst of the little things. You know, I think right now I'm reaching and grasping for those things. Are you? I, I, uh, the small things are there. You know, I, I thought through kind of where we are in the world right now. You know, um, it's, it's this, the corona thing is no joke. And, and we're all um, battling, I think, to see the good, to see the beautiful, right? I keep seeing that Fred Rogers quote everywhere that says, look for the helpers. Anybody seen that? Well, well, that's gospel, man. That, that's, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be looking for the mighty deeds of God in the smallness of, of people, I think um, about Philippians 4.8. I think about how Paul implores us to think about what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. If there's any of these that are excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are the things that you're focusing on? You know, I had to ask myself that question as I prepared for this. This I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me. I thought, um, being locked up, feeling locked up, it can feel isolating, but you know what it can also do? It can also, and this is just my experience, it can also give opportunity for card games and cooking dinner. It can give opportunity for writing notes. It can give opportunity for making phone calls. When's the last time you made a phone call? I was, I was laughing about that the other day. I'm like, man, I haven't put a phone to my face in so long because we're so busy behind, you know, texting or whatever. Like we forget, man, we can make connection with people. We don't have to be in the same room with them. Look for the little things. Maybe um, being locked up is going to give us time to remember our passions and our hobbies and our habits and our hopes. Maybe going stir crazy is going to push more people outside, spending time doing exercise. I've lived in a neighborhood now for six years. I have never in my life, in the last seventy-two hours, I have seen more people outside. And I will also say this: I have seen more people outside, but I've also waved to more people. I feel like I'm more connected to people than ever. Is that weird? I think it's looking for the good, you know, looking for those minute, mighty deeds that God's doing. He's not, this is not lost on him. I I don't know, maybe shortages and needs and things that feel so negative can actually bring to the surface opportunities for people to step up and help each other like they never have before. I'm seeing it. Are you seeing it? Are you looking for it? Maybe... All the negative things we hear about social media, maybe, just maybe, it's giving opportunity for church gatherings and hope spreading in ways it never has before. Maybe, just maybe, someone is watching this or some other church service or some other message of hope from God's word. Maybe it's a person who would never darken the doors of a church or walk into a Bible study because they have been wounded. Maybe, just maybe, that God's up to something in the minutiae. I think he is. So those mighty deeds in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in our lives, are we looking for them because they are praiseworthy regardless of what the circumstances are? Well, the second thing we saw in that verse was that he also said um, that that God, that he's praiseworthy because of his excellent greatness. He's praiseworthy, praiseworthy because of his excellent greatness. Um, I mentioned before, we've been in the Psalms now for 21 weeks Anybody, raise your hand if you're going to be sad when it's over. Also, look at yourself sitting in the middle of your living room, raising your hand by yourself. That's kind of odd. But it also feels good. It feels good to me to know that maybe you are. God's excellent greatness. Um, when you see that little term there, I, I think of it this way. It's, um, it's who he is. It's who he is. It's undeniably who he is. And, you know, we've been doing this, like I said, for 21 weeks, and so many of us have had the opportunity to hear about who he is through those 21 weeks, let, let me just read off a couple. I'm not gonna do 150, um, but let me read a couple and see if, the, if you remember these things. And and if you haven't studied the Psalms with us, let me ask you this, he, close your eyes and just listen and listen to these words about who God is and, and and see if maybe he's been that to you, you know, personally. In Psalm 3, we learned that he's the lifter of our heads. He's our shield and our salvation, In Psalm 8, we learn that he's a stronghold for the oppressed. 18, he's a fortress, a rock, a deliverer in tragedy, in confrontation, in war, in pain. In Psalm 23, we learn that he is the one who leads us, restores us, and comforts us. In Psalm 29, we learn that he is the voice that breaks through cedars. He's a voice over waters. He shakes the wilderness. He sits in thrones, and he gives strength. In Psalm 40, we know that he hears us. He draws us up from the pit. He makes our steps sure. He gives us a new song. 55, he's our savior. 69, he's our deliverer. 71 and 73, he's with us all of our days. 84, he's our Son and our shield. He bestows favor and honor. 89, he is your steadfast love and faithfulness, and he is a covenant keeper. 115, he remembers you. He blesses you. 139, he searches you. He knows you. He knitted you together. And he has a purpose for you. Psalm 146, he sets prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He feeds the hungry. He executes justice. And he watches over the travelers. Where have you seen God be that to you? Or I would ask maybe this, maybe if you haven't recognized him as that, can I ask you, will you ask him to show himself because he is that and he longs to be that for each of us. Our praises should be centered on what he's done and who he is, guys. We should praise based on what he's done and who he is, not necessarily the changing circumstances because I'll tell you what, he's not surprised, he's not quiet, he's not inactive, and he's not absent. He is all of these things in the midst of wherever you are in this moment. Well, the third thing that I see that the psalmist wants us to understand about praising God is this, is how? How do we do this? In verses 3 through 5, we, um, everybody get your tambourines out. Everybody got them? Harps? Got them all out? No. Verses 3 through 5, that, that we see some of that, some of that talk. I'm going to reread it just so you remember um, what he says, and then I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about my thoughts. Verse 3, he says, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with the tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Guys, um, all of that sounds very interesting, doesn't it? And you're probably all sitting around going, hey, that's just kind of not what I was thinking. Well, let me, let me put it this way. How about this? We want to praise him with our hands and our feet and our breath and our mind and our hearts and our soul. Amen. We want to praise him in the full symphony of everything we have. That's how I want to praise him. I don't want to praise him on Sunday morning and get all dressed up and and put on a show and then go home and live a life that is not acknowledging who God is at any moment. We want to praise him with our everything. I love the idea that our praises should be given with everything we've got. That's what the psalmist wants us to know. It's less about tambourines and it's more about what do you have and how are you praising him with it? Well, as I wrote that out, you know, I'm going to be brutally honest here. I write that out and I'm like, yeah, that's all, that's all well and fine until you are in, in a place where you feel a little hopeless and you feel a little isolated and you feel a little scared. Anybody? So how do we do this in the midst of that? How do we do this? How do we praise God with everything we've got in the midst of these places where we kind of feel wrecked? You know, I think that's an honest question to ask. I think God loves when we ask those questions. You know, we say that in this Bible study all the time. He loves when we don't know the answers to questions. He loves when we come at him with these questions. Well, when praising seems impossible, I I go to the New Testament and I go see what Jesus said. Because he said a lot of stuff. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40, here's what he said when uh, somebody asked him about the greatest commandment in the law. And they were trying to trick him up, but this is the beauty of who Jesus is, is the words he shared are the perfect definition of how we praise God. This is how he responded. The question was, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart With all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You know, in the last twenty one weeks or so, we've we've been loving God with a lot of that, haven't we? We've been loving God with um with all of our heart often. We've been loving God with our soul, hopefully, but we've definitely been loving him with our mind. And, and I think through this, and I think, how does this have anything to do with praise? Well, I feel like one of the truths that we've come to know in the book of Psalms is that no, and what we know is greater than what we feel often, you know? Like, we know this. We know that, that, that Jesus, his ultimate commandment is, is for us to love him. With all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. We know this, right? But we don't feel like it a lot, right? Like, anybody feel like that right now? I mean, oh, I'm gonna be honest. There, I've been in my pajamas for a lot of days. I finally got uh, cleaned up for you guys, but I haven't felt it. He knows that, you know? That's why He gives us the Hagars and the Stevens here's what I know. I know when I sat down and prayed about this, God, how do I talk about hope and how do I talk about praising you in the midst of all these weird things that are going on? And the word that came was Hagar. Do you know who Hagar is? If you don't, go do some light reading in Genesis 16, but I'm going to give you the summary. She's this girl who got caught up in an ugly situation. And it wasn't really her fault. She was just abiding by what her bosses were telling her to do. And ultimately, the things that happened to her seem incredibly unfair. Let let me revise. Were incredibly unfair. She finds herself on the run trying to escape the cruelty that's going on in, in the home that she lives in and the people that she trusted to employ her And she's on the run and she's in the desert and it is looking dire, you know. And in the midst of this, this is what I think is so crazy. I love the story of Hagar because here's what's cool. God sends an angel to find her, you know. God sends an angel to find her, to speak to her, and then to lead her. I love that God did that. He loves her so much, but you know what it doesn't say? It, here's what happened. He, he sent an angel to see her, to reassure her. It never left her that she had this angel. She, she ends up returning because the angel says, yeah, you got to go back, and I'm going to make some promises to you, and go read it. It's real cool. But this is what I find interesting. She didn't get a promise that life was going to get easy. And, in fact, if you read her story, it probably didn't get easier. It probably got harder. But Hagar, in the midst of all this, because God had seen her in the desert, said, I am going to call you El Royai, El the God who sees. The God who sees. Her situation didn't change. God is still the God who sees. He's still our God who sees. Well, then I think of Stephen, you know, I started thinking, who are some people that were praising in the midst of really, really rough, tough stuff, you know, and if you don't know the story of Stephen, go to Acts 7, he's the first martyr for the Christian faith. The thing that blows my mind about him, and every time I read it, it still gets me choked up. As you read the the testimony of what was going on in Acts seven, and and at the time things were really crazy, and this is um when the new church was starting after Jesus had ascended and gone off to heaven, and so now Stephen is this believer, and he's being you know pretty much dragged into the middle of this this street with all these crazy, like, violent people that were picking up rocks and wanting to throw them in his head and kill him, okay? So they're dragging him in the middle of the street, and this is what he does. You know, I know what Chris does. Chris is like, oh, yeah, hey, so I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I compromise. I rationalize, right? But not Stephen. You know, Stephen got dragged into the middle of this violence facing the fact that he's about to be stoned to death, and he praises God in the middle of it, and he asks for the forgiveness of those who are holding the rocks over his head. I, I that blows my mind. You want to talk about a circumstance in which you don't feel like praising God? That doesn't feel praiseworthy to me. Hagar, Stephen. Well, then I think of my life. I think of my real life example of my Hagars and my Stevens, and there are many. But the number one is uh, is my mom, and for those of you that know my mom and know my story, you you I've talked about her a lot because you know part of scratch that I think pretty much all of why I have the faith that I have, and then I stand here and I believe this is truth, is because of what she went through and how she praised God in the midst of it. You know, um, when I was fifteen. A a terrible thing happened. My dad died really suddenly by suicide. It was awful. And I've talked about it a lot. And I talk about it a lot because I know we all have our stories. And in the midst of that story, this little small story came up to the surface for me this week. Here's the story. We're we're just like a few weeks after everything turned upside down and my dad is gone. and, And I have three siblings, so there's four of us. And all of a sudden we're looking at each other like, what is life? What do we do now, you know? And I can't even imagine, now as an adult and looking at what my mom must have been going, I can't even imagine as a, as a wife and a mother what she felt. But this is what I can tell you about my mom, my Hagar, my Stephen, is every single morning without fail, every single morning, I know if my siblings are watching this right now, they're nodding and they know what I'm about to say. There was this little wicker couch she had just outside the kitchen. And she would sit in her her robe with her cup of coffee on this little couch with her Bible. and, And sometimes a book or whatever, but always, always with her Bible. And she didn't, it wasn't about fanfare and she didn't make a big deal out of it. She didn't invite us into it necessarily. She didn't call attention to herself, but it never changed. Never changed, even in the darkest, darkest days. She sat at that little chair and opened her Bible, even when no one was looking. Even when everything seemed hopeless, even when everything felt impossible. In dire uncertainty, in pain that I will never truly understand, she praised him. And, and, and I don't think any of us will know this side of heaven, what impact that had. Because I could tell you part for me, it's me standing here right now, because I can say this with certainty, that this is true and that we can praise God in the midst of any uncertainty, any struggle, because I've seen it. I've seen the Hagar's and the Stevens and the Judies. What about you? In the midst of your stuff right now, when you're asking God, how can I possibly praise you because I have all this uncertainty? I want you to think about the Hagar's and the Stevens and the Judys. I want you to think about them. And remember that um, praise is not contingent upon your circumstances. Praise instead is completely given. To be given with everything we've got, no matter what. Well, the fourth thing that we learn, um, and it's maybe the most beautiful part of this whole story, is that last verse in verse six. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And then the last three words praise the Lord. It's intentional, right? Like all creation, we praise without pause. I think about the fact that the psalmist, you know, these are poems and prayers and they're praises. But the beauty of of this is that every word, in my opinion, I feel, is thought out. I feel like every word is intentional. And when he says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, it's not lost on me that breathing is a nonstop activity, right? Every breath in, every breath out is a praise, You know, Acts 17, 25, jot that down. We're reminded that um, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Every breath that we praise God with, this is the cool part of the story. He gave it to us. Every breath. Every single breath. And and we're praising him in this nonstop way without pressing pause, not because of who we are or where we are, but because of who he is, right? Right? Because of the mighty deeds and the excellent greatness and the unchanging, irreversible, infinite, constant, still axis that God is when our lives are not. That's why we praise him. Every Hagar, every Stephen, every Judy, and you, we all praise him that way. When I praise him in the midst of the yuck, I'm in compliance with his plan. Have you ever thought about that? How often, if you are a believer in Jesus, you know that one of the things we, we, we try so hard to figure out is, how God, how do I pray your will? I want to be in your will. I want to I be going where you, I want to see the finish line that you want for me. I want to be running the race, right? Well, let me tell you this. If you are praising him in the midst of any circumstance, you are in compliance with his will. It's what he wants for us. Our praises should not pause. Our praises should not pause. Well, our time's almost done. Look at me being on time. Um, In closing, I want to share something. Um, My hike. My hike. Do it scared, you know? Because when I think back on that hike, you know how many times I wanted to quit? Um, Let me just tell you, a whole bunch of times I wanted to quit. But I didn't, and then I finally got to the spot a little later than everybody else. I finally got to the spot where you you see the lookout and you see this amazing view, and we got this this picture of it, and uh, I I still think, what if I would have turned back? You know, what if I would have just given into the fear and given up? Instead of doing it scared, Um, life is too short to turn back and miss the view, man. What in the midst of your world right now? What in the midst of everything is happening right now? Is God trying to show you a really cool view and you're really scared and you want to turn back? What is it? I don't know what it is. I know that some of the greatest moments of praise come out of pain and fear and uncertainty. I know I witnessed it with my very own eyes in my home when my dad died and I watched my mom praise God. I saw it. I lived it. I experienced it. Have you? Do it scared. Fear paralyzes us. Prayer, I mean, excuse me, praise refocuses us. Stop depending on the what ifs and start praising in the even ifs. Even if I'm alone in the desert, even if the world is looking to take me down, even if it all seems hopeless, even if I'm locked up all alone, Even if the unknown is haunting me, even if my job, money, marriage, health is gone, I will praise you. Remember the Hagar's, the Stevens, and the Judys. And won't he do it again? Won't he do it again? I believe in a God who does it again. I've seen it over and over here. I've seen it over and over in my life. And I'm so excited to watch and see what he's going to do next in the lives of us. Our praises are uncontainable. We can praise because we know who he is and what he's done. And we can praise with everything we've got. And we can praise without pause. What a perfect summit, Psalm 150. It's a marker. Is it going to be a marker in your life? 13 hallelujahs. Don't miss it. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to wrap up our time together. Will you pray with me? Father, um... You're so cool. I love, I love, I love this about you. I love that you like to show off in times like this where you are saying, look for me, look for me, look for the view. Don't miss the view. God, we don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. We will be afraid sometimes and you know that and that's why you tell us over and over in your word that you can be trusted and that we are not to be afraid. But God, sometimes courage is doing it scared show us how to do it scared show us how to take the next step on that weird bridge and and hold on but to keep going lord we want to praise you we want to praise you in the difficulties we want to praise you in the unknown in this uncertainty in the isolation in the aloneness lord we want to praise you in all of it we show us how to do it maybe just one little tiny baby step today god And, Father, I pray that if anybody can hear my voice right now and they don't know you, they don't know this is true. They don't understand the God of the Old Testament, the Jesus of the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit of the New Testament that dwells in us when we believe. Lord, I pray right this very minute that they can say, hey, God, I have not got this figured out. I need you right now. Lord, that you love that kind of prayer Thank you. Thank you that you care enough about us, that you sent your son to live a life that we could never have possibly lived and then die a death that we completely deserved and then to ascend into heaven and be there on our behalf. Like it's, it's overwhelming, it's crazy stuff, but that's who you are. And so thank you that you love us that much. So God, show off right now in this time, in this weird time, do the thing that you do and show us how to live a Psalm 150 life. We wanna do it, we wanna praise you. Thank you so much for this place. I thank you for the opportunity. I thank you for the technology. I thank you for the people behind the scenes. I thank you for the people behind the screens. I thank you for all of these ways that you are reaching new people. You are reaching us in new ways, Lord. We, we love you and we know that you're in charge of it. And I thank you so much more than anything for your son, Jesus, who died for our, all of our lives. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.